Um, in other news, please turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. I'm going to read all of Genesis 15 um, just so it can get into our, into our heads before we begin. Um, and then we can center our, our minds on the Word of God and not anything else. Genesis 15 says this, After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? As I go on being childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given me no seed, uh, given no seed to me, behold, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, This one will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. Then he believed in Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord, Yahweh, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and split them into parts down the middle and laid each part opposite the other. But he did not split apart the birds. Then the birds of prey came down upon the the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now it happened that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they are enslaved. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites, for the Amorite is not yet complete. Now it happened that the sun had set and it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day Yahweh cut a covenant with Abram saying, To your seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. Uh, This is our our chapter that we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's pray now and ask for God to really open up our hearts and our minds to understand this better. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this morning we get to spend in your word. What an interesting passage you have before us, but we pray that you would use this to strengthen our faith, to grow us in our assurance of who you are when you make a promise. And I pray for these students here today that regardless of what little things they're bringing here that they'd be able to focus on your word and understand exactly what you have for them to hear from it. We pray this all in in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Perhaps you get stuck in a trap of reality. Perhaps 
you start thinking of things in a way that's not really true. Maybe you think to yourself, if something is real, if something is authentic, if I really have a skill, it will be easy or it'll be natural. Uh, the real thing is easy, simple. It doesn't take any work. It doesn't take any practice or effort at all. Like, for example, maybe you say, well, uh, if, if, if I was really good at public speaking or talking in public or opening my mouth ever when other people are here, it would be easy and natural. And since it's not easy, I'll never, ever work on it. Or maybe you think, maybe, hey, Hey, if, if I was really good at sports, it would be easy and natural. I never have to practice like everybody else at, on my team. They never seem to ever practice. Therefore, I must not really be good at sports. Or, or maybe you could go on and on with all sorts of lists about how real or reality is often mistaken as easy or natural. Well, that's often what we think of in our world, right? If it's, if, it's, if it's a skill, if it's something real, it should be easy, really easy to me. And I think we think that way often about the Christian life. Uh, real Christians don't struggle with any weakness or any doubt or any insecurity. If my faith is real, it's simple. And I never doubt and I never question and I never have any problems in my faith at all. Real faith never has any problems. Real faith doesn't have any sin and real faith doesn't have any doubts, right? We, we have the same mistake, right? I think today, in today's world, we, we often think that way. But it's not very real and real authentic faith is like this, what we see in Abraham. We actually see an encouraging picture of real faith in Abraham. Maybe today you have questions or concerns, maybe about some weakness that you see in yourself that's causing you to question the validity of your faith, or maybe something else like that. But actually, today's message has real encouragement for you because it has a real encouraging picture of what real faith looks like. First off, I want to point out um, this little thought. We'll say this, real faith has a reward. Let's, let's talk about the reward of real faith. Before we get into all the difficulties of faith, just notice the inescapable truth that real faith brings a real reward. And you, you see this here with, with, with God and Abram here. You, you see Yahweh saying to Abram, do not fear, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. God claims to be great reward to Abram because... Of Abram's faith. Notice, uh, Yahweh says he is a shield to Abram. Now, a shield is a very important thing, and we know that in our day and age, too. Anybody who has ever watched, you know, How to Train Your Dragon knows how important and vital a shield is. A shield is very important. Some commentators refer to it as the most important piece of personal protection in the ancient days. It was, it was basically like having your own little defensive fortress that you could carry with you wherever you went. A shield was very vital. It was personal protection. It was, it was everything that you needed for personal defense in, in some thoughts. And Yahweh says, I am a shield to you. That's a great reward, right, in a harsh and difficult world, to have a God who is a shield for you. But then notice also Yahweh says, I am your reward, or your reward will be very great. And this is a word that refers to wages, right? Your 
wages for following me, for putting all of your faith in me, will be very great. Following God, trusting in God's ways, brings a reward. Real faith has a real reward that it is looking forward to. And this is kind of how God's people always act. And, and this is the, the prize and the reward that God's people always embrace by faith. Psalm 84.11 says, For Yahweh God is a sun and shield. Yahweh gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold to those who walk blamelessly. Following God by faith brings a reward. But how does Abram grasp this reward? Kind of already said it, but notice this. He grasps all of these rewards of God, God being his great protector and God being his great provider. He grasps all of these things by faith. You see it there in verse 6. It's maybe perhaps one of the most significant verses in the Old Testament. Um, It says, Then he believed in Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, if you think that sounds familiar, you're probably right because that verse is quoted in the New Testament all over the place. A few significant comments about Abram's faith here. Uh, First off, this is, you may notice, an editorial comment. This is the narrator stopping the action to make a comment on the scene. And whenever that happens, it's really important and you want to pay attention because the narrator doesn't always talk like this. When the narrator does talk like this, you know it's significant because he never does, in other words. But notice also, this this is the first time the word righteousness, the noun righteousness has been used in the Bible. This is also the first use of the word count or reckon righteous in the Bible as well. And what does it mean to count someone as righteous? Here we're seeing God's way of dealing with people that he actually counts them or considers them righteous before him, even if they are not. And to be to be righteous means you have a life that is characterized by following after God's way and God's standards. Your your life follows after God, and God counts Abram righteous based on his belief, his faith. All of this comes to Abram not because of his great obedience, and we've already seen that Abram is not always the greatest at obeying God or believing God, but simply because Abram has faith in God. And that, that results in God looking on Abram as though he is righteous, as though his life is perfect before him. This is how God always deals with God's people. Following God, once again, is a great reward. You see this? Following God is a great reward, but it's but it brings this great reward not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of our faith in God. Now, once again, the point of Abram is just to highlight how great faith can be. And once again, to, to define faith according to Romans 4.20, right? Faith is being fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises. That's what Abram has. He doesn't have great obedience for God, but he has great faith in God. God. Notice also, it's it's kind of interesting to me, like just this the way this word is kind of tucked in here. Um, the LSB perhaps misses something here when it says, "Then he believed Yahweh." It's acting as though 
Abram's belief here is a response to the words that were just spoken. But really, uh, the, the Hebrew language has a way of saying, then he believed God. And, and, and this is not a, one of those instances. What it's actually saying is, now he believed God, or and he believed God. So the narrator is pulling back and saying, hey, ever since Genesis 12, when God first called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans, Abram has believed God, and God has counted that faith as righteousness. This is nothing new, but this is once again the kind of life that Abram is characterized. He is characterized by someone who, despite his circumstances, he continues to hold firm or believe in God. That is what faith is. I'm trusting in God's word, and that trust in God's word brings great reward. Notice here, it brings a righteousness from God counted to you. And and just think about this once again, Um, sometimes the reward of our faith is beyond what we can even comprehend, isn't it? Abram, Abram surely did not comprehend all that his faith was bringing him or all that was being rewarded by his faith here. Did he understand that Christ was being counted to him on his behalf, like it says in in Romans 3, right? God was actually counting not only Christ's righteousness to us, but to all of God's people across all of history. No, Abram didn't understand where this righteousness was coming from. Abram perhaps didn't even understand the righteousness being counted to him at all. This is a narrator saying these things, but, but notice he simply had faith and the reward of his faith was far beyond what he even understood. And I would even say to you that your faith can't even comprehend all of the rewards that come your way through your faith, right? We don't understand all that God is giving us in Christ Jesus. We don't understand all of our sin that God is saving us from. Real faith is great reward, and a lot of that reward will be invisible to you until eternity, but that is the great reward of faith. That is the great reward of holding on to a God like ours with faith. Because he is bigger than you, and he's bigger than me. And he rewards those who come to him by faith. But this brings us to a second point. Believe it or not, that was the easy one. Uh, Real faith. Isn't easy. We're going to really butt up on our cookie bracket here. I would suggest to you that a passage like this shows you that real faith is not easy. Real faith has a great reward, but that doesn't mean it is easy at all. There's an implication here in verse 1, isn't there? There's, there's a sense here that Abram is afraid, that Abram is concerned. Yahweh is coming to him and saying to him, do not be afraid, Abram. And so, That means that Abram is afraid in some way. Why does he need a shield? Why does he need to hope in God as his great reward? Well, we've just seen that Abram took on all of these kings from the north, and and perhaps Abram's concerned about a a counterattack or something like that. Perhaps some commentators say that, that Abram is struggling now with the, the, the worries and concerns of all of the things he needs for provision now that he has kind of, you know, you know, 
ignored all of the prizes from this battle. Uh, These might be concerns, and it could be that. It does definitely seem to say in 15.1 that it's after these things, so it's pointing back to those events, right? Abram has just said, I am raising my hand to God, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm I'm not going to receive any income from any of you kings. And now Abram's uh, needing to trust in that belief, that conviction. Uh, Yahweh's promises ha- ha- have great reward, but not, we don't always see them, in other words. We don't always feel them in our hands all the time, and sometimes we have fear following Yahweh. So you could say it like this. It's, it's, it's very easy for you to make a public statement of faith, and you should, and you should, But just because you've made a public statement of faith does not mean you'll never experience any fears or doubts or creeping concerns about your faith or your God. Real faith has real questions. And and notice this. This is is a helpful little application, right? Faith might be real and might have very significant questions to it. Yes, God is a rewarder. Yes, God accepts me, but I still have some real questions. Like, how will God reward me? How will God fulfill his promises to me that he's promised way back in Genesis 12, where he says he's going to make of me a great nation? Real faith can be real and possess a real reward, and at the same time have some real questions. You notice verse 2, he asks questions. Lord, what will you give me right now the heir that I'm thinking is going to be just a servant in my house. It's important to, it's important to think here, by the way, that these questions of Abram and real faith's questions are not questions of skepticism or cynicism or doubt. These are actual questions of God's assurance. Lord, how can I know that your promises are true? I want to believe them, but I'm having trouble understanding how they can be true. So, so Abram here, we don't, we don't see someone who dismisses God or is trying to find an excuse not to believe God. We see someone who genuinely wants to believe God, but struggles with their faith. Do you ever experience that? Do you ever experience the feeling of, I trust in God, but I still have questions. Or you could think of it like this. Say your, your parents surprise you. Maybe this is exciting for those younger students of you. I'll give you older students an illustration that you'll appreciate more. But your younger students, right? That your parents surprise you with a trip to Disney, uh, we'll say Disney World, up the ante, right? <laughs> this involves a flight, right? This involves days away. This isn't one just quick little trip down to uh, you know, L.A. This is, this is real stuff. And, and actually, it's big, too. It's huge. It takes a while to go through Disney. Now, I won't get into it. But anyway, uh, this is Disney World. You're so excited. You're super excited. You can't believe your, pom- your, your parents have promised you a trip to Disney World. But as the days creep on towards this trip, doubts creep in. Uh, how will we do this? I've got so much school to do. Are, are you sure we can do this? Or, or more importantly, this is a lot of money. I don't think my parents are actually in a position to pay for this trip. How are they going to do this? What you really want to do is you, you want to go to your parents and say, how, how are we going to be able to do this? 
Uh, Dad, you, you have a very limited work schedule. How are you going to take this time off so that we can go to Disney World? And what you really want when you're asking those questions is not for your parents to turn to you and say, you're right, we're not doing it, it was a joke. Right? Yeah, that's not what you want. What you want your parents to say is, we've thought about that. Your dad has extra time that we're taking off. We got a uh, kind of an early inheritance from your grandparents we're going to use on this trip, right? You want to hear all of this affirmation to encourage you because your faith wants to believe that it's true, even though you have these lingering doubts and questions. Or, or to put another illustration that you younger students will not appreciate, but your older students would. When I was, you know, beginning to become interested in Serena, you know, I, I, I had this deep inward sense that she did not deserve me. And not because I was great, but because I knew how very lame I was, right? And as we're beginning to date each other, I'm like, man, pretty soon she's going to figure this out. She's going to realize that I'm an idiot, and she's going to not want to have anything to do with me. I like her a lot, but I don't think she likes me a lot, right? I, I mean, I know she's dating me. I know she's interested in being by me, but pretty soon she's going to realize that marrying me is kind of a step down, Right? So I, I, you know, kind of just kind of gingerly put it out there after, you know, six months of dating. So, you know, kind of like you a little bit. You know, this is kind of working out in my mind. How do you feel about this? And, 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 and what I really want to hear from her is not, you know, David, actually, I don't really like you at all. I was realizing that um, you've got nothing going for you. You're not very cute. Uh, you're actually downright ugly with your teeth. Um, I actually really want to get away from this relationship. I'm glad you brought this up. Thank you for doing this. Now can we please break this relationship off? No, that's not why I'm asking these questions. I'm asking these questions because I genuinely want to hear affirmation. I want to understand where my faith is weak and where I'm questioning myself if this is real, if this is really going to happen. And I'm suggesting to you that this is what's happening with Abram as well. And this is what happens with real faith. Love, reaching for God, saying, Lord, help my unbelief. That is what real faith does. Real faith isn't always easy. Sometimes real faith asks questions. Uh, it's good. It's good to claim God as your sufficiency, but sometimes you, you really need to ask questions of God. And notice it's also really encouraging here of Abram as well, because you see where his doubts come from, right? His doubts come from his own personal weaknesses, don't they? Well, I understand your promises, God, but I see a lot of reasons why I am a poor candidate of your promises. I have a lot of weaknesses. I am childless, for one, right? And so that's where my assurance is failing me. I go on childless. Once again, Abram saw Yahweh as the ultimate giver of life. He was like, this child that you are keeping from me isn't coming. But once again, he's, he's saying here, my faith is weak. Notice once again, sometimes our assurance is weakened by our by our own perception of our own spiritual weaknesses. Maybe you feel that way because of some temptations that you continually have. Is my faith the real deal? That is what causes you to go to God and ask questions. Sometimes real trouble, though, begins when you start believing in God's promises. Then you start realizing what a weak candidate you are. 
And that's when you begin to realize how great God's grace is. But that is incredibly encouraging as well. But then there's something else here. Notice God seems to want to aggravate Abram's weakness of faith as well, right? Uh, God isn't content to just let Abram continue to think the way he's thinking. God makes the promises more incredible, more extreme, more unbelievable, in fact. Abram is just getting his kind of mind around how God is going to make a great nation out of him. Oh, I see how it's going to happen. It's going to be one of those, those things that like, the people around me do when we can't have kids. We um, choose someone to inherit us in, in, through a slave or, or a servant or, or a friend. That's how God's going to make a great nation out of me. I can't have kids myself, but God's going to do it through this slave that I picked up from Damascus. That's how God's going to do it. I'm finally getting my mind around how God's going to do this. And then God says, no, it's actually going to come from your own body. Why does God aggravate the weakness of my faith my faith is fragile why is he why is he intentionally offering promises that actually seem to weaken my faith well because god isn't interested in your comfort god is interested in you laying hold of him as the great promiser and god is interested in the kind of faith that is fully convinced that god is able to do what he has promised once again this is always what god is after god is not after your comfort but he will actually maybe go after the very weakness of your faith in order to grow you and challenge you so that you will grow in your assurance of God who promises. But this, this is real faith. Real faith isn't easy. Do you see that there? Real faith isn't easy. Let's think about one last thing. We'll do this. Real faith, assume that. A real faith needs... God's help. Real faith needs God's help. Real faith needs God's enablement, God's strengthening. Real faith goes to God with these questions, looking for assurance, and real faith says, Lord, can you give me a pair of stilts to help me see your promises better and grow in my assurance, right? I, I believe, but help my unbelief, as that father said to Jesus. This is, this is kind of the big and wonderful picture that we see here. We see that God's people have real faith that sometimes isn't easy, sometimes is weak. And we also see in this chapter that God is someone who delights to strengthen the faith of his people. Matter of fact, he delights to go out of his way to give us assurance of faith. That's the kind of God we serve. That's who we see here in Genesis 15, a God who in his infinite wisdom is out to grow the faith of his people through various ways. How how does God delight to strengthen our faith? How does God strengthen your faith and my faith? Maybe we'll see some ways in in which he does for us through how he did to Abraham. Notice, but first off, notice, he, he, he strengthens our faith by first exasperating it, as we've already talked about. He strengthens our faith by aggravating our faith. He strengthens our faith by kind of putting on the heat and the pressure 
of trials and difficulties and making our faith uncomfortable so that you and I can see our weaknesses and so that we see how God is working on our weaknesses as well. God, once again, has raised the stakes here on Abram, I would say. He says, no, this child's going to come from your body. I'm going to make a great nation out of you from you. But, but, but how? Well, he, 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 he puts Abram, and we'll see this all throughout Abram's life, he puts Abram through a long, prolonged waiting period where his faith has to wait, right? His child does not come until he is very, very old. And he puts his faith in uncomfortable places so that his faith will grow. Once again, this is from a God who is of love and delight. He puts you in hard places so that your faith will be strengthened. Fiery trials, as we remember from James, are for the purpose of weakening you so that the weakness is removed, so that the, the final metal can be stronger. Sometimes God strengthens you and delights to strengthen you through putting you through difficulties. I remember this movie, one of my favorite movies, mainly because it's about hockey. As you all know, I love hockey, apparently. Um, it's the movie Miracle. It's about the uh, 1980s Olympic men's hockey team that beats the Russian team. Um, the coach... Herb Brooks pushes his team to the brink almost every single practice. He's constantly making them skate harder, skate harder. Nobody in the team likes this coach. Even the other coaches on the team are upset with the coach because they don't understand what he's doing. Why are you pushing these guys so hard? Nobody likes the coach until they're in the final game against the Soviet Union and they're skating circles around the Soviets and suddenly everybody loves the coach because they see the outcome of his hard coaching. Sometimes God exasperates our faith in order to strengthen us, and that is good for us to remember. That is how God dealt with Abram as well. But notice also, God provides arguments in order to assure Abram of his faith. Not only does he exasperate Abram's faith, but he also provides arguments for Abram to comprehend with his eyes and then with his heart as well, you see in verse 5 that God tells him to go outside and look at the stars and count the stars. But think about what this argument means. God, God is basically saying, hey, listen, if I can make you into a, uh, such a numerous, uncountable nation that even uh, your descendants will be more than the stars. Don't you think that I can handle one heir? The next one, right? That's, that's basically what this is. God is making a greater to lesser argument. If I can make you into a great, uh, great nation, as uncountable as the stars above you, I can handle your one child, don't you think? A greater to lesser argument is something meant to strengthen your faith. If God can do the big things for my faith, then I'm convinced he can do the small things of bringing me all the way to the end of my faith. Uh, a few examples of greater to lesser arguments if you want to think about them this way. Say, for example, your dad is one of those engineers who works for NASA, right? And he, he is totally responsible for making sure that the moon landing happens. He plans everything to the, the, the nanosecond, right? He makes sure the moon landing happened. Do you think if, if your dad can handle planning that trip, 
that he is incompetent to plan out where you're going to stop for lunch on your little trip across the state in the middle of the year. Yeah, of course, if he can handle the, the big thing of a moon landing, he can handle our little small trip. Or, or say, perhaps, that you have won several marathons, even the Boston Marathon, right? You have a relatively high degree of confidence that you can pull off the Bakersfield Thanksgiving Day turkey trot, and you can at least complete the thing because you've done the bigger thing, and therefore you can do the smaller thing as well. That is what God is doing. He's saying, look, if I can do this bigger thing, you can trust me with the smaller thing. And that's actually how we get assurance as well. Uh, Romans 5 talks about if God has justified us through the death of his son, how much more will he save us from the wrath to come? Basically, what he's saying is, listen, if God can do the hard thing of justifying you, of, of, of sending his son down to die on the cross to fully pay for all of your sin, you can be convinced that he can bring you all the way to heaven. You can have assurance in God because he has already done the bigger thing. Therefore, the lesser thing, which is getting you all the way there, is nothing, right? That is how God assures us. He assures us through argument, right? Greater to lesser argument. But let's look at one more way that God loves to assure Abram. And I think this is also encouraging for us as well. He assures Abram by oath and covenant and by blood here. Maybe you're wondering what all of this stuff is going on in the second half of the chapter about cutting up animals and splitting them up. And I want to say to you that here is where we see what a work of an animal cut in two can do for your assurance and for Abram's assurance. He is, uh, God is, through this oath and this covenant with Abraham, trying to show more convincingly to Abram the certainty of his promises. That's what God is doing. This is not Abram's conversion story. This is simply God confirming his faith and strengthening his assurance. What's happening here? A few comments in verse, in verse 7 through 11. You see God makes this promise, and then Abram says, how will I know that this is going to happen? And then Abram, or then God says in verse 9, bring me uh, these animals. And you notice Abram seems to understand what's going on here. He brings the animals, and then without any instructions from Yahweh, he starts cutting them up and splitting them on opposite sides. So there's like a pathway through the middle of this. What's happening here? Once again, it appears to be some sort of covenant that Abram was familiar with. And so it appears to be that this was some sort of a, a mutual destruction covenant, which we see evidence of in the ancient world. For example, in Jeremiah 34, there is a reference to a covenant like this, where in the process of making promises and covenants, you actually make a visual display of your promises, right? I'm promising to be faithful to you, if you promise to be faithful to me. And the way we're going to show this is we're going to take this cow, you ladies are going to love this. We're going to cut it in two, and we're going to spread the two parts of the cow this way and that way. And then we're both going to walk through this. And as we're making this covenant with each other of mutual faithfulness, we are going to say, if I break this promise, may I be like that cow. That's a powerful promise, right? I mean, you, you want to promise your mom that you're going to do schoolwork on time this week, but you're not about to cut a cow in two and say, Mom, if I don't do this, make me like this cow, right? This is a strong covenant 
promise, and this appears to be what is happening here. There could be other things happening, but based on Abram's behavior, it seems as though he's assuming this is the kind of covenant that's going to be happening. I'm going to be walking through these pieces, and I'm going to pledge my loyalty to Yahweh, and that is how I'm going to be assured that Yahweh will give me what he is promising me by my obedient promise to him, right? Yahweh, I will follow you, I will trust you, I will, only, I will only count on you to fulfill your promise, and if I do not follow you, may you make me like these animals, right? That seems to be what Abraham is expecting, because that is what people would do. And by the way, this appears to be what the children of Israel were expecting too. This is similar to the covenant that they went um, into with Yahweh at Mount Sinai. And remember, the children of Israel on the plains of Moab were the people originally hearing this story. They're going to hear Abram cutting up these two pieces, about to go through this covenant procedure, and they're probably thinking, hey, that's exactly like we did in Sinai when we said, Lord, we will follow you, we will be your people, and if we aren't your people, may the curses of Leviticus 26 come upon us. May we be destroyed for covenant unfaithfulness. That's probably what Israel was thinking when they read this. And that's where the shock is, because the ceremonies all lined up, and it seems as though we know it's about to happen. Abram's about to walk through the pieces, and something else happens. What happens? Abram is asleep. He falls asleep, and he sees, what does he see? Verse 17, notice this, it happened that the sun had set and it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. Abram is unable to pass between the pieces, but only a torch and a flaming oven passes through the pieces. What does this mean? This is weird. This doesn't make any sense. And we're... we're, uh, considerable away removed from it Israel would have been confused maybe Abram would have been a little bit confused what is going on here well just a little picture lesson if you are aware of this verse 17 says uh, it refers to darkness it refers to smoke it refers to flames and it refers to an oven this is all language that Israel would have quickly associated with Exodus 19 and the presence of God on Mount Sinai. This is the Lord's presence being depicted for Abraham. This is Yahweh himself passing through the pieces. What is going on here? Why is he doing this? Abram is supposed to be the one passing through the pieces. Why is Yahweh himself? Notice this. Once again, Yahweh is trying to demonstrate to Abram the unflappable certainty of his promises. Yahweh says, you are not passing through these pieces. I am determined to bless you, and it doesn't depend on your good works. It depends on me and my ability to accomplish it. And even if you fail this covenant, I will not stop failing you or my promises to you. Remember, the promises to Abram are the promises of a seed, of a Messiah, of something that we hold to dearly. Yahweh is saying, regardless of what man does, I am determined to 
bring back the Garden of Eden. I am determined to crush the head of the snake. I am determined to fulfill my covenant with Abram. And notice this, Yahweh is saying by himself passing through the pieces that I am even willing to suffer the judgment of the curse in order to accomplish my plan. If you fail, I will receive the curse. Not you, but me. Now that sounds like crazy language, but if if we are reading our Bible from a New Testament perspective, this makes total sense. Galatians 3, 13-14 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice this, Christ becomes the curse for us so that we can be blessed with the righteousness of Christ. What a phenomenal thing. What a absolute phenomenal thing. See you later. Take a break here for 10 seconds. Now, once again, the real point of all of this is what? The real point of all this is God delights to grow your faith. And even though your faith isn't easy, God delights to help you, and your faith needs the help of God to be strengthened in the assurance of your faith, and that is incredibly good news, because you have a God that delights to bring assurance. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll talk for a minute. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of this day. We thank you for the incredible kindness that you bring to us to make such phenomenal promises to us through Abram. The curses of the covenant are not on us, but on you in Christ. And we thank you that we get to hold to all of your promises and all of your rewards and not have to suffer any of the curse of our sin to hold on to your promises. No, we hold on to you by faith and faith alone. And I pray that our faith would be encouraged and strengthened through this reality. Amen.